Hello and welcome to The Transfer Window, the podcast that brings you the news before it becomes news, as well as insight and analysis into all of the topics you're talking about in football. I'm Ian McGarry, and I'm very pleased to say that uh, Captain Duncan Cattles has returned from his first wave surfing mission in the Mekong River. Welcome back, Duncan. Good to be back, Ian. Uh, yes, I have finally been released by Colonel Kurtz after a couple of what I have to say were very enjoyable weeks surfing around Lao with the female version of her uh, butterflies and all else included. And, uh, I, yeah... Uh, <laughs> We it's back from the heart of darkness to the heart of the transfer window. Well, I'm sure everyone's missed you, and uh, we're very pleased that you have returned safely. We're going to start today with news about probably one of the transfer window's hottest properties. Not because, of course, he is out of contract, but because James Madison has risen to something of a superstar so far this season in the Premier League with. It, Extremely impressive form in terms of goals scored and assists as Leicester have climbed to the heady heights of second in the table. You'll remember that on the transfer window, we reported Manchester United's interest in the player last May, so before the summer window even opened. And the player then declined to negotiate with United on the basis that he would rather stay at uh, Leicester and get first team football every week. Now, that interest from not just from Manchester United, but other clubs, Duncan has re, has resurfaced in this window. Um, and Leicester City, to be fair to them, have spent the last six weeks or so in contract negotiations with Madison's representatives. However, I'm told that uh, those uh, talks so far have failed to reach an agreement. They remain um, very amicable, and there's certainly no fallout on either side. Madison, um, again, has reaffirmed his commitment to Leicester City. He signed a contract for five years in 2018 when he moved from Norwich City for £22 million. However, um, so far, uh, I'm told the offer to Madison, who currently earns £45,000 per week uh, at the club, is to give him parity with uh, Jamie Vardy, who earns £120,000 plus bonuses. Now... You'd think doubling his wages, Duncan, would be a very, very sort of attractive offer um, to a young player. But I suppose the uh, bar's been set high by contracts uh, that have also um, been signed recently by players younger and less influential than Madison. I'm thinking like uh, of Callum Hudson-Odoi at Chelsea, who signed a, a deal worth £180,000 per week. And so I suspect that perhaps those are the numbers that Madison and his representatives are looking at. Now, the other sticking issue in this, and you can understand why on both sides, is Madison's representatives would like to insert a release clause, so a set transfer fee into a new contract, allowing, obviously, uh, any team who come in for him to equal that clause and, therefore, Leicester would be obligated to allow him to talk to that club and, indeed, if agreement was reached, he would leave. Now, Leicester don't want to do that because, obviously, they've seen the inflation in cost of young players, especially young English players, uh, whereas, of course, Madsen and his representatives want that because they want the guarantee. Duncan, I know you've been impressed by Madsen this season, as, as we all have. Um, 
can you see him? I don't. Can you see him moving in this window, or do you think it's more likely if a new contract is signed and a release clause inserted, he may leave in the summer? I think it'd be very difficult to get hold of him in this window, given where Leicester are, given their. Um, he has been central to this, uh, the success of this season and the opportunity they have to qualify for the Champions League. Um, and to lose a player at this time who's central to your side with the potential revenue uh, damage that would do. Uh, also, a player that you're offering um, a substantial contract to by Leicester City standards um, would suggest to resist that. And uh, and from from what you're telling us, it doesn't sound like James Madison is in a position where he intends to push for a transfer in the January window. Um, therefore, I, I wouldn't see that happening now unless a club like Manchester United, who, as you broke in the summer, are, have been uh, interested in the player for a long time and made uh, overtures to the player in the summer, were to put down um, a crazy amount of money for a player who you can understand why United have targeted, not simply because of the quality of his performances in his two seasons in the Premier League, um, but because he fits that uh, model that Manchester United, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer and Ed Woodward have sold to the supporters of uh, concentrating on British players, concentrating on younger players who, who will develop and become better at Manchester United and can change the identity of the club and their success um, over the next two to three seasons. So he, he, he very much fits their strategy. Um, and of course, they, they know they have a serious problem with their current most creative player, Paul Pogba, who is again out of the side, whose agent, Mino Raiola, having given one interview um, to an English newspaper when he was in the process of trying to extract a very large salary and commission from Manchester United from Erling Haaland, um, talking about how Pogba's uh, faith was with was in Solskjaer and how he, he um, didn't want to move away from the club anymore and that Raiola himself wasn't going to be trying to move him away from the club because his client didn't want to, has now switched back into his um, offensive mode, uh, giving comments to, along the lines of, if I had Maradona, I wouldn't take them to Manchester United because they would destroy, that club would destroy them as players. So um, United know they have to recruit in midfield uh, and they know they have to recruit creative midfielder. Madison is an obvious target, sensible target in many ways. Um, and as you've detailed to us, he is um, cheap in terms of salary. So you could see Manchester United coming in and offering um, essentially double what Leicester are offering and, and that easily fitting into Manchester United's pay scale to put Madison on £200,000 a week or to give him a, a contract which gives him that 180000 and with, with step-ups down the line. Um, I think the question there is going to be this is more likely to, to run to the summer if Leicester can't convince Madison to sign. They can't uh, reach the financial terms that Madison is looking for. Question then is, do other Premier League clubs go, for, go in for the player? And do Manchester United have to convince Madison that they are the club for him to choose ahead of an alternative um, suitor, uh, 
let's say Tottenham Hotspur decided to that that Madison was the the best choice to replace um, Christian Eriksen, um, where Christian Eriksen to go through with his intention to to move elsewhere. Um, probably Tottenham wouldn't offer the same wages as Manchester United, but they might be able to offer him a more coherent football project. Um, there, you could see Arsenal also, uh, depending on how Arteta runs things, depending on whether Mesut Ozil remains part of his team, uh, as he has reintegrated them over these early games of his management, or whether that situation changes again. So, I, Manchester United have kind of got themselves in a difficult position with their their lack of performance over several seasons, and their you know their extreme lack of performance this season, in that. They now have to convince players that they are the correct football project to go to, which is something they now they haven't faced for what two decades or more. Um, if Manchester United came in for you, you had the biggest club in England with guarantee of regular silverware, guarantee of of uh, almost constant Champions League football. All of those things have gone away, apart from being the biggest financial. Uh, club and and having the ability to pay at least as much as the as the strongest of the of the other clubs in the Premier League. So it's an interesting situation to monitor. Um, you can also argue from Madison's point of view if he does get the financial terms he wants that and Leicester do what ex- we expect them to do and qualify for the Champions League. Perhaps the sensible option is to stay there. And be the centerpiece of a of a team that you would expect to do well in the Champions League, and and should have the basis to be um, a strong Premier League side for several years to come because of the age uh, structure of of the the club and the and the the balance they have in their squad at present. It's certainly the case that Manchester United are finding it much more difficult to operate in the transfer window given the. Um current sort of uh, situation where they're not challenged for trophies, of course, who you just mentioned, Mina Raiola, when he went on his, on his offensive uh, uh, last 10 days, said that Paul Pogba needs to be at a club which is challenging for titles and winning trophies. Um, clearly a dig at Manchester currently. Duncan, indulge me for two minutes. I'm going to go all Arsene Wenger here. Because uh, when Madison left Coventry City, I was in the, in the, in the process of leaving Coventry City because the club's financial crisis meant they had to sell their best players. And Madison, even then, was considered one of their best players. Um, I contacted someone I knew at Manchester United in their recruitment department um, and said, look, you're going to get a bargain here. This guy's going to be big. This guy's going to be a huge player in the future. He's available for around £5 million. He's also a Manchester United fan. He would walk to Old Trafford. And uh, they never got in touch with Coventry. Didn't take any notice. So there's my Arsene Wenger moment with James Madison. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Arsene Wenger, the man who didn't sign Messi, Ibrahimovic, Yaya Turi, etc. Well, Manchester United could have had Madison four years ago. Uh, and saying that, of course, there's no uh, guarantee he, have, he would have developed the way he had at Norwich City and then at Leicester City. Uh, and I'm also, when you said there, Duncan, about um, maybe better staying at Leicester City, it looks like they're going to get Champions League football next season. Um, they'll certainly invest and recruit. Uh, uh, to augment an already talented squad. Um, I'd say that when uh, Brendan Rodgers was being mentioned uh, in in the missives as new Arsenal manager, um, I know that he told a friend when asked would he go, he said, only if I can take my players with me. 
<laughs> so that says a lot about, you know, uh, this current state of Arsenal and Manchester United in terms of where Leicester are. Duncan, you've got some news on Tottenham Hotspur, um, a team who are um, picking up form, but inconsistently under Jose Mourinho. I think it's fair to say uh, a hard-fought 1-1 draw uh, at the Riverside Stadium against Middlesbrough in the FA Cup last weekend, adding um, yet another, I suspect, suspect unwanted fixture to an already crowded uh, list. And of course, not going to help them. They've got a couple of serious injury worries. Well, you say picking up form, but just one win um, in the last five matches for Tottenham, starting with that defeat at Chelsea, which was very important in their, their attempt to make up the 12-point gap that they they, that, um, they started with upon appointing Jose Mourinho to try and retain their Champions League place for next season. Um, also lost away to Southampton and uh, didn't quite manage to turn the game around at Middlesbrough despite a, a strong second-half performance, which is... is crowded a fixture list and crowded a period in which um, Mourinho had been hoping to have a, a free week in which to give his players a bit of rest and to work on tactical ideas. And remember, this is the first time for a long time that Mourinho has taken over a side uh, in the course of a season and uh, not had the pre-season to work on um, training ground exercises and getting his ideas across uh, and I think you're, you're seeing some of the problems of that now as well as seeing some of the problems with the shallowness of the squad um, I talked to someone close to Mourinho uh, last night and he was commenting and saying it's, it's unbelievable that Tottenham managed to build a squad for this season where they did not have a backup to Harry Kane their most important player in the squad, particularly as we know Harry Kane is injury prone. Um, they've now got themselves in a situation where Kane will be out. I'm told that the prognosis on that injury is that it's a six-week hamstring injury. They've also lost Sissoko and that they believe, they expect, is going to be another six-week injury. So potentially, they now have eight games, including uh, a return fixture, at Chelsea, um, their opening Champions League knockout round game against Leipzig, which is a tie that uh, Mourinho did not want to draw. Um, it's essentially a hiding to nothing tie in that the expectation is that, Le that he should be able to beat Leipzig. But Leipzig are um, strong contenders for the Bundesliga um, two points clear, Duncan. Very... I, I don't think we should be underestimating RB Leipzig in terms of their no, ability. Yeah, absolutely not. And I think they're being underestimated because of the name. But the 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 perception is that should he not get through that that tie, it will have been a failure. Whereas if they'd drawn, for example, Barcelona, um, he might have got away with being knocked out and and uh, in a, in a close run. Uh, knockout round game over two ties. So they've got those two. They also play Manchester City. They play Liverpool this coming weekend. Um, and they have the the replay against Middlesbrough in the FA Cup, which is a, a competition that Mourinho is targeting as um, an opportunity to bring silverware uh, to the naming rights lane after um, a long, long gap, um, which he... 
Mourinho believes will be important to the development of the team. Um, you said on uh, the last podcast that uh, Paco Alcacer at Borussia Dortmund was an option um, in the January window for Tottenham. I'm told that's correct. But the issue here is that Daniel Levy at present is only prepared to sanction a loan to buy deal, a loan with an option to buy deal, um, which uh, is probably not going to be sufficient to convince Dortmund to release a player who they paid 23 million euros for uh, in February and who the word from Germany is that they value at 40 million euros in this window, even though Alcacer wants to go. And I, I think there's also an issue, although Alcacer has, has a good scoring record, um, both at Dortmund and his club career before Dortmund and um, 12 goals and 19 internationally for Spain. There's an issue of whether he's an appropriate replacement for Harry Kane. Uh, he's 1 metre 75. He's a very different kind of centre forward to Kane. And, and we see Mourinho bemoaning the fact he's saying he's not going to complain about Kane being out, but he is noting that they have to play a different way without Kane. Uh, they have to set up the attack in a different fashion because they just don't have a like-for-like a like replacement. Um, that, coupled with losing Sissoko, is going to cause them problems. Um, and it doesn't, at present, it doesn't seem as though he is going to be granted the resources to try and solve those problems in the January market. The, when he took the job, the expectation was there wouldn't be spending in January. Um, the idea was to work with the players he inherited, make them better, which I think we've seen him do. Um, certainly the results have taken an upturn from what Maurizio Pochettino achieved earlier in the season. Um, but... I think it's an interesting few weeks because there's a decision that has to be taken here um, with those key players going out, especially with Kane going out. And the argument you can make that you should have a backup to Kane anyway in that squad. Do you want to try and go for Champions League football? Do you want to try and go as deep in the Champions League as possible? The squad being as thin as it is at the moment, um, being unbalanced in its structure in the first place. And we've also got problems with Tangi Ondombele, uh, who isn't able to put a run of games together for, for multiple reasons. Um, do you need to go into the market and perhaps add one player there? And will Mourinho um, say it goes badly against Liverpool this weekend? Will he start putting pressure on Daniel Levy and arguing, we need to do this now, um, let me have a bit of cash to try and sort things in this window and then we'll you know, we'll work at this properly again in the summer window. I mean, it's one thing, Duncan, to uh, go with the expectation of not buying in January because you have a good squad of, of talented players. But when you are inflicted upon you two injuries to, as you said, in Kane and Sissoko, most influential players... These are the kind of things you cannot legislate for, and therefore you have to go and sort out. And you know, Pep Guardiola had been saying for a couple of months now that he wouldn't buy in January, but um, I'm told from at least two sources that contacts been made with at least five different 
left-sided centre-backs um, with regards to moving in this window. So Manchester City and Guardiola are clearly um, responding to the injury to Aymeric Laporte and the poor form of John Stones. Um, and the fact that they have been playing three at the back in some games, including two defensive midfielders and Rodri and Fernandinho. So uh, why would um, why would Tottenham not do the same? Well, we're talking about Daniel Levy here. We're talking about a, a, a chairman who's been happy not to spend under pressure from his manager for the last two years. I mean, we, we, we've talked in detail about Maurizio Pochettino's frustrations and his attempts to get Daniel Levy to operate in the transfer market before, arguing that the club need uh, that the the club the squad needed refreshing, arguing that he needed different types of players to take them to the next level, and pretty much for a large uh, period of that, it was ignored. There was a big spend this summer, uh, and there was an attempt to to go somewhere uh, well, a significant way down the line for, in Daniel Levy's case to pacify Pochettino but what we saw was Pochettino rapidly moving back to that frame of mind he had that he'd he'd done what he could do at, at Tottenham and um, and changing as a coach as, as we detailed in the podcast very early in the season the way change, changing in the way he was managing the players changing in the, the amount of effort he was putting into uh, running the team and changing the way he was complaining privately uh, to people about the situation there. We Levy very recently gave a, a sit-down interview um, to promote uh, a book that's been written about his new stadium and go through the details of, of, of that project, kind of his crowning project as the, as the chairman of, of Tottenham. In it, he quite clearly warned that um, spending lots of money was not, he felt, going to be the Tottenham way and talked about having to get out of the mindset that, that uh, infects English football, that if you don't spend money, you can't win things. And also said um, it wouldn't be a disaster if we don't make the Champions League one season. We can't expect to be there every year. So he was pretty much laying the groundwork for if we don't make it, despite having hired Mourinho to try and, and fix the season, it won't be a disaster. Now, if you're if you had that mentality with a full squad, then there's no real reason why you change your uh, attitude that it won't be a terrible thing if you don't make the Champions League this season because there have been some injuries. Maybe he's prepared to bite it, bite on it. Um, not act in the January window, which we all know is a difficult one to get value in, uh, and wait for the summer and just hope that Mourinho can get through this intense period of games with a shortened squad, which he's only had a certain amount of time to work with, and still manage to qualify them for the Champions League. The problem, of course, is knowing Jose Mourinho, he, he has been very positive about the setup. He's been saying the right things all the way through since his appointment. But we both know that generally when he feels frustrated by the people who employ him, um, that can lead to conflict with with Mourinho internally in the club. And and I think we need it's going to be interesting to watch his response to it and whether he will stay online with Levy if 
the only thing he is allowed to do is uh, loan with an option to buy and that he can't get the player he wants and under that loan with option to buy strategy and has to sit with the squad he has for the rest of January. Well, I think it's somewhat ironic that Daniel Levy's the man telling everyone else that English football is infected by the disease of thinking that spending is going to win things when he's not spent and not won anything. So there's some something of an oxymoron there, I think, <laughs> uh, in there. Um, anyway, uh, with regards to uh, Jose Mourinho, you're right, Duncan. Um, we could recall that infamous January window at Chelsea where he talked about making omelettes and only having having it get the best class of eggs in order to make a right, the right omelette, et cetera, et cetera. Um, unfortunately, you know, you did say, I mean, we should give credit to Tottenham for the spend they made in the summer, but I don't really understand uh, any kind of um, ethos where he says that we missing Champions League football. You know, we can't expect that. They've just built a £1.4 billion stadium exactly to house those kind of games. Seems to me to be, you know, contrary to what the whole reason for uh, why they put the investment in. Uh, it was to actually stage those huge matches. And indeed, the fans have enjoyed that. And we're only in the first half of the season in the new stadium as well. So I don't think the fans are paying fortunes for season tickets. And indeed, the Champions League games are not included even in that season ticket. Um, we'd be too happy at the prospect of missing out. So something's got to give, that's for sure. And as we know, Josie uh, can be just as tough a negotiator as Daniel Leverage. So um, that's one to look out for. Talking about Harry Kane being out, though, Duncan, um, maybe they could go for a loan deal for Glenn Murray. Uh, he seems to be um, out of the plans at Brighton, and uh, he's a very similar player to Kane, albeit a little bit older, I think. Um, but you've got some news uh, on interest for uh, a friend of the transfer window, uh, Mr Murray, um, from uh, Scotland. Yes, um, Celtic, the Scottish champions, uh, but under a great deal of pressure from Rangers, as uh, Kaiser Duck, our, um, the, our film presenter while I was away in the, in the Mekong Delta, was, would, uh, was very gladly telling you, I, I noticed on the, the New Year's Day edition, um, are trying to do things in this window and um, they see Glenn Murray as a strong option to improve their squad and give them a different range of options for the second half of the season um, as they try and retain their title and uh, and go deeper in the Europa League. Um, they want the player on loan. Um, Glenn has uh, found himself in a difficult situation at Brighton with their new manager who, although he has constantly told uh, Glenn that he's central to his plans, I believe the last two Brighton matches, including the FA Cup tie that they got knocked out um, from this weekend, he's been left out of the 18 entirely. Um, so I think the writing is on the wall there in terms of uh, Glenn Murray's status at Brighton under Graham Potter. The, the manager and um, and Bright with Brighton doing well in the Premier League this season and getting a lot of plaudits for the way they're playing. Um, it seems unlikely that uh, that Murray will be there next season. 
uh, as a significant part of their plans. So how do Celtic tempt him? Well, I think I think there's a possibility that that opportunity to play European football uh, and the chance to win major silverware for the first time uh, in his career could be something that would uh, would tempt Glenn to go there. Um, I think uh, it might be even more interesting if Celtic were to to offer a, a deal where it was um, not just a loan deal, but the potential of an 18-month contract, perhaps if some targets were achieved in terms of scoring, which is something that, that Murray's never had any problems with at, at previous clubs. So, um, again, I, I one to monitor through this window, and, and this is the kind of deal that you, you do see happening in the January window. It's targeting players who have been left on the sidelines by their managers who've got a proven track record of uh, success um, in their present leagues or for their, their their present teams and you can give them an opportunity uh, to play elsewhere and uh, and get football again and uh, and demonstrate their worth going into the summer transfer window whether that's to stay on at the club they're taking a on loan or to get a deal back at a Premier League club or or perhaps a high-end championship club. Well, Celtic are no strangers to um, signing veteran English strikers. Um, a lot of Celtic fans will remember Ian Wright arriving at Parkhead some years ago. And uh, I think it took him 14 games to score his first goal. Um, earning him the nickname of Ian Wrong. Uh, so, uh, but, uh, you know, I think Glenn's much more suited uh, to Celtic style of play um, in terms of, um, I'm told uh, from uh, sources at the club that the reason um, they're looking at a more of tar- target man who can hold up play is because they don't currently have that. Um, Odson Edouard certainly has a lot of um, physical strength, but he likes to play facing the defender and uh, and running in behind. Whereas I think Neil Lennon feels that he needs a bit of variation in their play. So no doubt um, that would certainly suit um, Glenn Murray in terms of um, his style of play. Uh, be an interesting move, Duncan. I agree with you if, if we were to go through. And of course, um, on the other side of Glasgow, Jermaine Defoe is currently at Rangers and um, has been decent in terms of his chance conversion rate and goals and stuff. So, uh, as I said, it's not uh, it's not too far to go. It's not like you're moving to um, a whole different country in terms of uh, Europe or China or anywhere else that you might end up at this stage in your career. So it'll be interesting to see how that one goes. And indeed, if there's any news, then you will hear it first on the transfer window. That's it for this Monday edition of the Transfer Window podcast. All that's left to do is, of course, give us uh, you our heroes and villains of the last few days. Duncan, as we are welcoming you back after your uh, little sojourn, you are going to name us a villain, please. Yeah, um, villain of the week. I'm going to have to go for Uli Gunnar Solskjaer, I'm afraid. Uh, the, the precious one living up to his uh, Transfer Window nickname in his response to uh, a comment from Robin Van Persie, another former Manchester United striker, that um, that he was disappointed to see Solskjaer smiling in his post-match interview after the the 2-0 defeat to Arsenal that ended um, 
what by Solskjaer standards had been a, a pretty good run of results. Um, Solskjaer's response was uh, uh, quite tetchy. He said, uh, he probably doesn't have a right to criticise my management style and I won't change, that's definite. And then he added, he took my number 20 and that's probably all he's going to take from me as well because I'm not in the medieval times. Um, so he, I think, I think one, it's a, it's a sign that Solskjaer's kind of not used to former Manchester United players criticising, as we pointed out. And uh, maybe you can update me because I've been away on holiday. Have we had anything from Rio Ferdinand or Gary Neville no, criticising anything no, in the nothing. two weeks? No, still quiet as a church mouse. And uh, funny that he made a point about the shirt number, but maybe maybe there's a little bit of bitterness in that for all those seasons that Solskjaer played at Manchester United, the most Premier League goals he scored in a season was 18. Uh, the most goals in total he scored in a season for Manchester United was 25. And Robin van Persie in his very first season for Manchester United scored 26 Premier League goals and 30 in total. So... Who wore the 20, the not that precious number 20, the precious ones, number 20 better? I think we have to ask ourselves. He's cracking a little bit, I think, Duncan. I've seen signs these last couple of weeks. Uh, we talked about last week on the podcast um, when he talked about uh, Pogba having an operation and he said his people have said that that's what needs to happen. Um, he then obviously realised that he was possibly you know, opening up a can of worms with that and then went into the open media conference after that flash interview and uh, tried to explain that oh, he had his people too in Norway and Sweden when he was a player and but the club medical department had agreed etc cetera, etc cetera. he tried to rescind that a little bit but um, yeah and then to talk of things like medieval times I don't even know what the reference is to is, is Robert Van Persie I don't know. Is he was he? Did he star in Blackadder at some point? Or I don't know. It just seems seems a very weird uh, sort of analogy to make um, in terms of you know what why Robin van Persie would say such a thing. Anyway, uh, we'll we'll see. I think uh, you know he's he's just another bad result away from his job being in danger again. That's for sure. And um, I think the pressure is getting to him now. One man the pressure is not getting to though is my hero of the weekend. And that is Michael Oliver, the referee. Uh, I think probably our best referee in the English Premier League at this moment in time. And the reason is because he became the first of our on-field officials to use the pitch side monitor for VAR in a match last weekend, FA Cup tie between Crystal Palace and Derby County. He uh, decided to review for himself um, a red possible red card for Milievich, Um who put his head into Tom Huddleston's face during a, what was a fairly mild altercation, but got a little bit escalated. Um, and of course, we know that while the official party line of Mike Riley and the PGMOL has been that referees um, are not banned from using pitch side monitors, uh, the fact that no one has ever used, used it so far in uh, the first half of the Premier League season tells you that the off-the-record uh, advice to referees is very different from the official party line. So Michael Oliver, you're the hero of the week for effectively not just looking at pitch side monitor, but sticking, uh, well, 
either one or two fingers up to Mike Riley. Uh, and also, um, breaking code, setting a precedent, let's hope, let's hope that the on-field referees are resting back control of the decisions they make by watching VR for themselves and then making a decision based on what they see. No, I'm not sure. I'm not sure Ian, I'd agree with that he is England's best referee, but I, I'm pretty sure there's quite a few people at Liverpool who are, are very happy with him and uh, on this season's performances. Would you like to elaborate or is that just to leave that one out there? I, I think we can go back to um, our Schrodinger's handball episode um, to uh, to get one of the reasons why Liverpool would be happy with Michael Oliver's uh, on-field decisions. And uh, I think that Wolves-Liverpool uh, match might be another one um, where the, the handball that uh, Van Dijk made in the build-up didn't apparently count as a handball. Um, and, uh, and then again... The, the offside, which of course Oliver had nothing to do with, but um, the big decisions and the big games of uh, when Michael Oliver's been charged have uh, have uh, gone with Liverpool on, on more than one occasion this season. Let's just say that. Well, Duncan has explained that particular comment. All I would have to add to that is that Michael Oliver certainly did walk alone to that monitor on Sunday. <laughs> Thank you very much for listening. This has been Monday's Transfer Window podcast. If you want to continue the debate, then please do so on our social media uh, channels, which are at Transfer Podcast on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. You can contact Duncan and I individually on our Twitter accounts at Duncan Castles and at Garbo SJ. Please join the debate you, you, you were crazy about it last week over several, several things that we uh, we talked about on the podcast including Tottenham and Chelsea transfer uh, news uh, we're giving you some more news today of course on Leicester on uh, uh, also and some Tottenham news as well so please yeah do get in touch uh, we'll be back on Wednesday with your questions answered your chance to basically put whatever question you like to Duncan or I and we will obviously do our best to answer the most interesting and best ones from that. So please put your questions again to those social media feeds. Transfer windows now well and truly open. It's going to be heating up. Not so many deals done yet, but we're sure they will be. Until we uh, Wednesday, we will see you through the transfer window. Yeah.